In marketing, there is an excessive focus on calls to action, ROAS, cost per click, KPIs. We love these metrics. Our bosses love these metrics. Our clients love these metrics. They make us feel good about the campaigns that we're doing in marketing. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about something different than that typical lead generation type of marketing model. We're going to talk about demand generation. It's playing the long game with your marketing. You have to have patience. It's all about nurturing the future client, having them find you, having them come to you when they're ready to buy. You have to have that patience. It's much harder to track, so you have to have a little bit of faith as well. But it has a lot better return on your investment if you have that faith than the typical lead generation. It's definitely something you should be adding to your marketing, not replacing. The lead generation still has a place. And especially if you're in the B2B space, it's about becoming a thought leader. It's about becoming somebody that somebody that another company needs a solution and you're the first in the first few companies that they think about. It's about creating that trust. And so I'm going to talk today with Reggie James about demand generation. He is the founder and CEO of Digital Clarity. He's the executive director of the DBMM Group. Uh, he's joining me today from Surrey, England, which is just outside of London. Uh, he helps CEOs grow their business in the digital economy. So it's it's you know perfect for this conversation. So thanks for joining me, Reggie. I appreciate you uh, joining me on the show. Jim, it's an absolute pleasure to be here and I'm delighted to be a guest. I'm a big fan of the show. I've seen some of your episodes, so absolutely delighted to be here and hoping to add some value that your listeners and viewers can take away and actually apply. That's great. So I want to start with a uh, a topic that I covered on a previous episode that I haven't had a chance to go back to. And I don't know if you have followed along on the, the Snoop Dogg solo stove controversy situation. I don't have anything on that. Vaguely, Are you- vaguely, vaguely, yes. Yes. Okay, so I'll, I'll I'll tee it up for you. But Please what do. happened, and I can still consider it the best ad of, of last year, um, certainly the best ad partnership from last year. But Snoop Dogg, great guy, everybody loves him, avid weed smoker, put out some teaser posts that he had, was giving up smoke, uh, left out, you know, that it had anything to do with marijuana. And long story short, turned into an ad for Solo Stove, which is a smokeless fire pit, basically. Um, it had insane numbers. Everybody watched it. Most people liked it. But fast forward a couple months down the road, the CEO got fired because they didn't generate enough sales. So <laughs> I think this is a, an excellent case study for, was this really lead generation? Because I actually don't think it was, or was it demand generation? Which I think it was very successful at. And if the company knew what they were doing, they probably wouldn't have fired that CEO because something tells me that demand is there. But as you've said in, in other podcasts I've listened to um, where you talk about this, not everybody's ready to buy when you hit them with a lead generation. But come summer, I know they did this this promo in November. No one buys fire pits in November. They buy them in the summer. Solo stove will be on the top of people's minds. And so, you know, I, I wonder if if they just had it wrong in their mind as to what they were actually trying to accomplish. It is a great case study, Jim. I think um, from my understanding of it, now, now that you mention it, it, yes, I do remember uh, a lot of it and, and all the controversy around it. The reality is it's a piece of content. It's a piece of, it's something, number one, if we kind of deconstruct it a little bit. So Snoop Dogg, he, he's a guy who has spent years cultivating his personal brand. And the reason he could do what he did, like he cares what he what he does, he adds name to, to lots of things. But he, um, so let's look at it from his side and let's look at it from the organizational side as well and, and to your question. So firstly, um, as Biz Stone, one of the co-founders of Twitter once said, you work hard for 10 years and everyone says you're an overnight success. Right. Someone like <laughs> someone like um, someone like Snoop has been working on his brand directly and indirectly, sometimes for all the wrong reasons, depending on which side of the fence you sit, or for all the right reasons. Um, attitudes change, people change, etc. So he was perfectly placed to be that 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 individual. The company 
the Stove Company um, is a classic example of where we again are trying to look at an opportunity but put it into a box. And buyers, prospective customers, are very, very wary of that. They don't like um, they don't like anything that's um, how can I put it uh, forced on them, um, if you like. Right. And absolutely. And, and you have a window of opportunity. So you have a piece of content. It's great. Had they done it in the right way? I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but had they done it in in the right way? That CEO, that that individual would not have have been fired, and he could have taken that content and used it in a much stronger, better way. Certainly, in a few months' time, and um, but you have an opportunity where there are things like this happen all the time. In in our world, in the, in, in the business world that we operate in, in the the B two B and in the tech space. There are similar examples of where you will get an individual, a B2B influencer, creation opportunity. But when things like this happen, very few people are prepared for it. They don't measure anything. They have no measurement in place. And it's a little, it answers your question. It's a bit of both, both demand and lead. They were creating, leads were generated prospectively from a demand that was created by a piece of content. And one of the most important things that you said is that people aren't in the market to buy. They're ready to buy when they're ready to buy. And certainly from a, um, I think certainly from a, um, in something that's so seasonal, you, you have to be very, very key when things like that happen. But the 95-5 rule, um, yes, you're absolutely right. I talk about it all the time because a lot of people <laughs> do. That's okay. <laughs> Apologize. Grab some I'm water. getting over a little bit of a cold. <laughs> There's um, a lot going around sorry. there, Jim. So yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, uh, I was like, tell me the 95 five rule. This is yeah, interesting. Yeah. So tell the me. The 95 five rule is very much a. It, it was done by LinkedIn and uh, and a university, a marketing university in Australia, um, and they looked at bio. They looked at a ton of data. So if you're selling software, and a company buys software. Say, say you buy a CRM system, you are not going to buy another CRM system for quite a number of years. But when you are, you will be the one in control. So the way it works is that when people engage with your brand, say they make an inquiry or they want a demonstration or they want uh, some information, download an ebook or a playbook or a, you know whatever it might be, um, what they are doing is they are genuinely interested in making their mind up on something that's prompted them to think about what you are offering. 95% of the time when they engage with you, they are not in a position to buy. They're very much, if you like, at the top of the funnel, making a lot of those inquiries. But what normally happens within sales departments and marketing to marketing departments go, oh my goodness, we've got a lead. We've got a marketing qualified <laughs> lead. Sales goes wild and starts bombarding this poor individual with, hey, you downloaded our thing. Hey, or we, you know, two days later, hey, it's me again. I'm just bumping this up to the top of your inbox. Yeah. <laughs> and they basically turn off the potential buyer. So this happens all the time through, through a very a blinkered view of sales and blinkered view of the buyer because what you really should be doing is nurturing that contact educating that contact uh, building a relationship with that contact and trying to understand what that contact actually wants buyers are very much post-pandemic in the b2b world buyers are hugely in control and what we help our clients do is to help them understand where those buyers live, help them understand the landscape of things called buyer committees, where you have people within organizations who say, right, we've got a problem. So what's sales? Sales is creating an opportunity or solving a problem. So they are, so we help people define that, but also help them understand where they live, where those people eat, drink, live, who the the ideal customer profiles is not just one person, but it's numerous people. You could be the, that initial inquiry that I touched on could be the 10th person in the deal team. 
initially getting that information, uh, they may not be the decision maker. Me, the decision maker may be the actual user. So there's lots of lots of complexities within that. What we need to be able to do as as a as a brand is to be able to educate those prospective customers who are looking at us that are known or unknown to us who are engaging with us and help them when they think of when they're ready to buy that we are their number one choice and that we nurture them the there's a there's a software called sixth sense and they um worked out that normally put people shortlist uh, buyers normally shortlist four vendors and the first vendor that they engage with that they are interested in is normally the first person they go with it's almost a very sort of almost 80 <clears> percent <throat> So if you're called in to do a pitch or to pitch for a piece of business and you've not been nurturing that client, likelihood is you're just part of the beauty parade. You're just making up the numbers. So they can say, yeah, we've checked out a few companies. We've done some evaluation on pricing, et cetera, et cetera. So, and we know what it's like when you're chasing that client up and it's like uh, CSI New York. You can never get hold of them. They've disappeared. <laughs> right. They totally right, disappeared. Right. So it's it's um, uh, yeah. So it's it's that kind of scenario. So we try and help avoid that. And but way before all of that, we, we try and help um, you know customers understand who they are. So um, so yes. Yeah, so that's 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 the that's the ninety five five. And there's lots of variations. I think all of it, Jim, um, really as in life, really reflects the Pareto principle, the eighty twenty rule. You know, twenty percent of your customers will make up eighty percent of your revenue, etc. So, oh, absolutely. It, um, 20, in fact, I was reading the book today, which I just oddly enough is a great book. I'm not here to plug anything, but this is a book by a guy called Perry Marshall. It's called Eighty Twenty Sales and Marketing. Oh, yeah. I like it. And I just thought I'd share that with your. I'll send a link if you want, and if your readers are yeah, interested. Yeah, we'll link to that. I have we'll no, I have no. Us. But it's a fantastic book. It's a fantastic. I cannot recommend it enough. Um, because it also means that you can focus your energy and your what you do with clients to the core 20% rather than rushing around trying to do, do everything. It's a very, Absolutely. very interesting book, uh, which I was reading this morning. So yeah, just have to have it there. So you said a, a couple interesting things in there. One was, you mentioned CRMs, which you know, HubSpot is one of the, the big players in that market. And they are doing demand generation in a very interesting way. And they do create some of their own content, but beyond that, they've created a podcast network where a bunch of the podcasts that I listen to in the marketing space are under the HubSpot network, yes. uh, including my favorite other marketing podcast other than this one, uh, which is This Old Marketing. They just recently joined them. And mm. so it's very passive demand generation. So when you think of, they want, when you think of business, you think of HubSpot. And so again, it's, it's it's the long game for them. They are they are getting your their name is mentioned. You know it's on all of the cover photos and it's mentioned in uh, the beginning of all the episodes. But it's not a hard you know they don't have their hand out. I guess that's the big difference with demand generation is you don't have your hand out and you're not you're not pushing either. You know I think in in the episode I heard where you talked about demand generation is that push pull. This is about the the you're sort of pulling them towards you. Um, it's, it's a, it's a gravity, right? So it's, you know, I want you to slowly move in my direction and think about me the next time you're going up to upgrade your CRM. Uh, and they're doing it in an excellent way by just surrounding themselves with other thought leaders. And I do think they have a couple of self-produced shows, but by and large, it's other people that they've brought in that they think are good. Uh, and I think it's an excellent, an excellent way to do that, uh, and be part of the conversation. A hundred percent. And I think that a lot of companies, a lot of larger companies like HubSpot are realizing they do have, they still have a very uh, large um, lead gen business, um, which they they still do. And I think, I think fundamentally, <clears throat> though customers hate to be bombarded with things um, uh, like lead gen being spammed or, or whatever, there is a, there, <clears throat> there is a role for that to play. But we're talking about demand generation, but yeah, it's it very much is about creating content, but creating content in the right way that's going to engage with your audience. Um, I think 
previously on, on somewhere else, somebody mentioned to me that in 2023, um, the word of the year on Merriam-Webster's, uh, the, the online dictionary, was authenticity, authentic. Oh, wow. And th there's a reason for that because people are looking for something that's real. So if you put your hand on your heart and you create something that's really you, and remember, you've got to define who you are first, which can be you know, your value propositions and all these kind of things and why you do what you do. If you can nail all of those things, which is something that we spend a lot of time working with our clients on, if you can nail those things, then the communication you create, which is comes from a place of authenticity, something that's real and heartfelt, that comes across in your marketing, comes across in your communication, comes across in your uh, in everything that you do. And I think that's a that's a very um, important point. It's not just about creating a ton of ton of content because otherwise it just becomes noise and equally annoying. Um, but so it's, so authentic based um, sort of masking is is really key. And I think what we are finding as well is a return to brand. I think a lot of people are really um, understanding that actually, hey, hang on a minute. This is this is all about brand. This is about it's about what people say about you when you're not in the room. You know what 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 is it that it's, it's not about you hitting people between the eyes. It's about helping people make the right decision. And I think Absolutely. we're seeing we're seeing brand come back in a in a big way on on on, on aspects of every on every single aspect. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah. I wonder if so authentic that's I didn't, didn't hear that but that's super interesting and I wonder if that's the flip side of so if I ha would have, if you were going to ask me to guess what it would be I would have guessed it would be AI so if there if there's a flip side to AI it's authentic right so AI is the complete polar opposite of authentic because it is a conglomeration absolutely. of of all other thoughts and authentic yes. and a authentic thought or a genuine thought is something that comes from just you obviously you are bringing in your own mini language model, you know, your personal of you are, know, yes. <laughs> language yes. model, yeah, but yeah, yeah, uh, it's still an authentic thought or a genuine thought. Um, and, and, and I, I do think that part of this demand generation and the why it's, it's taken off is that there's so much of this inauthentic content out there. I mean, it is, it takes less than a minute to create a blog post about a topic yes. that is completely inauthentic. Yes. Um, yes it takes, absolutely less than a minute to create a post for LinkedIn that says something about your industry that is completely inauthentic and might have some traction, but doesn't really say anything uh, or doesn't say anything new. It's just about, you know, it's a clickbait uh, more than anything. And, it, you know, if you're paying attention, these are very easy to spot and it's disheartening and it's also annoying to find <laughs> all of these because it's, it's clutter, it's noise, it's making a lot of these, you know, platforms less enjoyable. So, so we crave that authenticity. We crave the conversation of the one-to-one -one real people saying what they really believe, whether it's right or wrong, we, we crave that. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think this is where, when, when we're looking at things and looking at measurements and Again, not all data tells the right, the, the you know the correct story. There used to be an old saying that you know what gets uh, measured gets you know fixed or whatever. Um, the the reality is is not everything you measure is actually one hundred percent correct. There's no um, I, I ran a technology I, I helped build and, and sell a an exit is a, a tech business that was one of the first Google search management tools um, used by media agencies and it would manage all the bids, the Google bids and various other things. But when we looked to that data and it was going, oh, data, data is the new oil, you know, that, that's the new <laughs> thing. The, rea the reality is attention is the new oil. It, it's, it's actually, there is so much, like you uh, uh, say, Jim, that there is a lot of noise out there and all that people are doing when they're not thinking this through or have no strategy or plan is it just creating more and more noise and they're actually damaging their brand if they, because people are associating, um, you know, gosh, these guys again, talking about some BS about whatever. And it becomes really, it's a real issue. The problem is real. 
um, in terms of, of what's being generated. So yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, we have to try and, um, I wouldn't say less is more. I would say that certainly um, more good stuff is better. Um, if that makes um, if that makes sense, so five re five things that resonate with two or three people um, is really great than than a hundred pieces that resonate with no one. And I think that's the and and it's such a waste of energy and time. Even though it's it's a um, but a lot of this, Jim, I think it comes from the top. You've got these really archaic uh, measurement systems that exist to this day. Um, oh, let's measure clicks. Let's measure, you know, uh, downloads. Let's measure. Well, let's think about how. Why did people do that in the first place, rather than the download themselves? Maybe because they're interested in reading what you're giving, or want to learn more. They don't necessarily going back to the original thing. Want to necessarily want to buy. So let's help them make some of those decisions. Let's nurture some of those people. And I think it's it's understanding that that's going to be absolutely key. So I think, um, yeah, so I think, I think um, we're seeing very similar things in the sense that there is, um, there is a real need for that authentic approach. We can use AI, absolutely, but let's, let's use it as a, um, when we're creating those prompts, let's add the value, let's add our human value into that. And, uh, and then create the, um, you know, iron out the fluff, if you like. So, so it actually resonates with people. Um, and um, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of changes in terms of how people react to mass communications. Mass communication generally doesn't um, really land with people um, unless you're a very, very big brand and you've already spent all that time building that brand. Hence the Super Bowl ads and all these sort of things. All of those ads are pretty big uh, or, the, or there's a potential launch. So, yeah. Right. And they, you know, so again, there's, there's, there's two pieces to this. It's not that you don't do lead generation. That's still part of it. Just the, I guess what, what I'm recommending is making this demand generation part of how you advertise and part of how you market yourself will make the lead generation more successful and will nurture somebody again, that you have to have that patience for two, three, four years down the line that will, you won't know where they came from. Did they, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what, what to do for demand generation in a second. Like what, what are the actual, um, best ways to do this? But one of them is podcasting. And that's part of why, you know, there's a number of reasons why I started this podcast, but one of them is I want to grow my business, Skyline Studio. And I, um, I'm not a big fan of sales. I personally, I'm, I'm, I'm bad at networking in that way. Um, but this is a way I found that I can connect with with people like yourself, uh, and we can have these conversations. And and I one of my goals for 2024 is to connect more with the audience themselves. So start asking them questions, not with my handout. I don't want their business now. If they they're ready, I'm happy to take it. But the the goal is to just communicate with them and see why why are they listening? What do they like? What don't they like? Um, having a real conversation without needing something in return. I think that there's too much of I'm not going to waste my time if I'm not going to get an instant payback. Um, you have to, you, people, people know if you're looking for yourself only. They can, they can feel it. You know, you start having a conversation with a seasoned salesperson at a networking event, and it's really obvious what how they're structuring a conversation. They're great. I mean, I, when I watch them, it's like magic. Yes. But, <laughs> but at the same time, it's 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 also pretty obvious. That that they're they're looking for a sale at the end of this conversation. I'm I'm not. I'm looking for a future conversation. I guess is yes. you know what yes. what I and why I like podcasting. Why I've always loved, loved listening to them and why I enjoy doing it. It's a it's you know I didn't have a word for it, demand generation, but that's really what it is. It's about it's why I'm doing this. It's it's why you're going on podcasts. It's it's a thought leadership thing. It's about being part of the conversation. And, and I think it's 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 one of the best ways to do it, uh, for sure. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I think I think you you've hit the nail on the head, Jim. I think that there is a um, when you say networking events and you see the sales guys, you know, the dark arts of selling. 
Yeah. Um, I think people people kind of see through that. I think people now they're very much in control whether you're a consumer, whether you're a, a business buying something or whatever it is. You'll have made your mind up on who you're going to use because you've done your own either consciously or subconsciously done your due diligence on the brand, on the product. If you're buying a phone or a pair of sneakers or you're buying a big piece of software or whatever it might be, you'll know pretty much what you're going to buy before you you bought it. And if you are an Apple person, it's going to be very unlikely you're going to change to Samsung. It's going to take a lot for you to switch over to another brand. So a lot of these brands trying to push all these things to you it's going to be very difficult. Whereas someone like Apple, they do a counterintuitive thing. We're launching this new product. It's hugely expensive. You probably won't be able to afford it. And then they've got queues going around the block. And it's the, we used to call it the Prada principle. I think Harvard did a study on it where when Prada, the hand, uh, you know, the, the fashion brand, when they would launch a handbag, they would literally cover their one store in Milan, lots of newspaper, and just show a tiny little bit of this this bag. And then they'd send these shots to all the journalists and everything else like that. And then they'd do little teaser campaigns and then they'd, you know, give a date of a reveal. By which point people are clamoring already put orders in for this bag. So it, it's it's kind of it's they understand a lot of a lot of uh, fashion brands, a lot of brands that have been doing this for a while, they understand A, their audience, they understand secondly who they actually are, and they understand how to communicate with their audience because that audience likes that. They have a very hardcore group who want to buy it. Then there's the people on the periphery that they want to attract because it's a aspirational brand. You know, I might have to save all my money up just to buy this kind of thing. But once I've got it, there's a value to it. And I think you can apply that across the board to so many um, so many of these. There's this, so many examples. So Prada's creating demand, is creating, it was doing it, it's been doing it for over 50 years um, and uh, it just didn't have a name. Uh, the people called it fashion marketing and they do it, they do it very well. You know, um, spring, summer collections are nothing more than creating demand, etc. So, so in the business world, a lot of people, very clever people, start looking at it and saying, hang on a minute, why are we doing this for what we do? And applying those principles and being able to do all those different things. So you asked, a you asked something there, Jim, about what are the different um, demand generation sort of uh, channels, if you like, or things that you can do. And I think that uh, like with anything in life, you've got to, you've got to try it out. You've got to get in front of it and, and try it out. And it will take time. You're not going to get the six pack overnight. You know, you sometimes are going to have right. to wake up at <laughs> five in the morning and do the run. You're not going to have that extra slice of pizza or whatever it might be, whatever your journey you're on. So I think that the, um, the idea of using different things and, and podcasts are very, very powerful is also the way people measure what's successful. So it's it, attribution is a very, very big, big thing. So using all the channels. So when somebody actually engages with you further down the, down the, the funnel, if you like, if we're still using the funnel analogy, the initial demand may have been created by a, a podcast and then another podcast and then something else. And then they've gone, oh, I love Jim's podcast or nothing. I'm going to use Skyline. I really like what they're saying. I love what they're talking about. We're going to be renewing our contract with our next agency in three months' time. Let's shortlist Jim, sort of thing. But then what happens is they're going to, as they're going down the funnel, the more deeper engagement will happen. So it could be another piece of demand, a blog that they've read or a, another video that they've seen or, or whatever it might be. But a lot of these are not measurable or they're, they're harder to measure. But we know that demand is created by them. Prada can't say at the end point when they, using that example of the new handbag, it's only right at the end that they start running ads in Vogue. You know, 
but that's a real engagement piece. That's their, oh, there's the bag, bang. They've done the editorial. You know, that's that's demand. They've done all these, the, the blogs, all the fashion bloggers, they've done the videos, all that. That's all demand. But it's really right at the end when the people are engaging. They've already created it. People have already shortlisted. Uh, Prada is the one that they're going to buy. So for us, it's the measurement is it's harder. It's what people call dark social because it's... Um, it's stuff when you get an inquiry, and that's the beautiful thing is when they get an inquiry and you've got, where did this guy come from? And then it's you the ask them, yeah. Yeah, it's the, only it's the type of thing that you can only measure if you have real conversations. You know, and I, Correct. a lot Correct. of our, you know, we're a smaller agency and a lot of the conversations, you know, will, you know, I ask the question, where did you find us? And we'll find out that it came from somebody who knew somebody, you know, yes. so that's a demand. That's probably demand generation at its best. So the, the funnel analogy, I know we, we spoke about this last week, but the better analogy that I'm hearing about more and more is the hourglass. So the, at, the, yes. at the sale point, you know, so you have demand generation up here and at the very bottom you have evangelists. These are the people that are going to talk about you and kick someone back up to the front, you know, to buy from you again. So for smaller companies, uh, especially this is, you know, how companies grow uh, as they're starting off. And so we'll ask the question, you know, how did you find out? Oh, so I knew so-and-so yes. mentioned it and I checked you guys out and I saw a blog or I saw, or I saw your website or well, we've had clients that have, they've come to us with inside jokes and we'll wonder like on our, on our website, I, for whatever reason, faxing drives me crazy. I think it's like one of the weirdest things that people still send faxes. And so our fax number on our website is 1-800-DON'T-FAX. And I'll have people okay. mention that. Uh, to me, yes. like in, in an initial call, like, and I'll like, so they clearly read our website well. And like, they, they, you know, that caught them, you know, it was, you know, they did their research. They, they saw something on our website that, that spoke to them. Um, that's, that's one of the jokes that's, that's sort of, we have a sort of jokes <laughs> peppered it. through our site and they'll, yes. you know, they'll come to us as if they, they knew us. And so you have to, you know, talk to people about this stuff. This is how you know what's working. Uh, there's no KPI for this. There's no, you know, you can't, you can't put this on a chart. Uh, this is something that's that's measured in conversations and can be refined and finessed. And it's it's really important when you're building those relationships that are going to be lasting ones where someone will re-refer you to somebody else. And that's how you grow. 100%. I think the hardest thing is is convincing a board or, a, you know, or management that you, when you're looking at that investment cost on a, on a spreadsheet, um, that you've got to see that as an invest. You know, it has to be an investment. It's not a metric. It's not a cost. Let's put it that way, because because I think a lot of people view that number. So if you're spending X thousand dollars on creating content, creating demand, you, the results is a little bit like SEO. You're not really going to see the real results for well over six, nine a year's time, if not longer. But what you're doing is you're nurturing and developing. And I think the hardest thing, um, and I'm sure you found this as well, is, is trying to change people's view that you're going to make this investment, but you're not going to get anything. You know, It's going to be very, you, you're looking at something further months down the line, if not longer. And it's hard for them to go, but what, what do you mean? What, what? So, so, that's why we always try and advocate a, a sort of two-pronged attack. Here's your longer burn, deeper, stronger conversations. But let's, when we're doing some lead gen, let's really think about how and what we're going to be doing with that and make it, again, add the authenticity, maybe share some of that content as part of your outreach and various other things like that. Oh, absolutely. And that you know that's a, a good point. So if you're doing, you know, so it's like building your financial portfolio, right? You don't want everything yes. to be risky and you don't want everything to be safe. So, yes. you know, you've got your your mix here, but when you are doing standard legion, you're paying for those Google ads, you're paying for those placements, yes. whatever that is, you're, you're, you're hammering people over the head to get them to check out your stuff. Yes. They're going to see this legion and they're going to say, oh, or I'm sorry, they're going to see this demand gen and they're going to say, gen, oh, yeah. th this is not just, this company's doing some interesting stuff. And because yes. in these purchasing decisions, it might change their mind a little bit. Even if, even if they already have the company, they know they know who they're going to work with. Uh, yes. It might, you know, there are what you're you're so 
write about that too. When I go to purchase new software, I usually am looking for people to convince, I'm looking for companies to convince me not to buy the one I want to buy, or they already have a, a name in mind. But yes. every once in a while, I'll see something in, you know, in a competitor when I'm doing my my searches, and I'll say, oh, maybe this is better, and I'll change my mind. So all of that demand gen, all of that, all of those podcasts, those blogs, YouTube videos, sincere, genuine, unique stuff is going to make them say, I want to work with this company versus this other company. 100%. And I think that's where, you know, you've got to have the courage of your convictions and just keep going, keep going, because you're putting yourself and your buyers, you know, we have different types of buyers. You have buyers of different ages. I was reading somewhere that um, 40%, nearly 50% of B2B buyers are now uh, under, they're under, 40 years old, they're under 40. So it, wow. there was a percent, there was a, you know, they're, uh, I'm trying to remember which generation, what generation that comes under. Gen Z? No, no, not Gen Z. Under four, under 40 is, is millennial. Millennials. Like, millennials are now really big influencers and make buying decisions in B2B. Huge amounts of money. So they're, they're because they, and also, They've grown up with the internet. They didn't have the internet thrust upon them. They that was always there. Social right. media was always there. So they they're very comfortable, you know, sharing what they what they're eating or doing, you know, all this crazy <laughs> kind of stuff. So they so so if they if they see something on LinkedIn with someone saying, "Hey, I'm at this thing," they didn't think anything of it. Where someone is a little bit older, I go, "Oh my goodness, that's that's outrageous! Why are they sharing something so?" private with with the whole world so it's horses for courses right so you've got to you've got to try and match your audience to the right right thing and maybe having a mix you're, you're never going to change things by thinking the same way and i think that we've got you know the the older marketers that are out there the older which is still run by by people over 50 major organizations run by slightly older group they're the ones who, who need convincing and changing their mind or their teams to actually change the way that they actually approach uh, marketing. Um, because the way you used to do it five years ago, and it may have worked, it ain't going to work now, uh, or it's not going to work as effectively as it did. Uh, and if you're hoping for that, well, good luck, because people are buying things differently. So so I think there's there's all of that different things in the mix to talk about. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it's it's changed so much because of post-COVID era. It's changed so much because of AI. It's changed so much because of TikTok and what that did to social media. It changed so much because of the Twitter X devolvement and now LinkedIn really becoming a, a location, uh, you know, for getting some of that Twitter content, you know, LinkedIn has exploded over the last few years while Twitter has done whatever it's been doing. Yes. Um, and so all of these are changes and and you you go to the AI with this this noise and so we're we're craving unique sincere content and I think that that's that's really 100%. that's really it. Yes. Well, this was this was a great conversation on on demand generation. I before you go, I want to talk a little bit about uh, digital clarity. So that's that's your company. Uh, you're the founder and CEO of it. Tell me, you know, obviously demand generation is something you do a lot of, and you're in the tech space. How, you know, how, how do you work with clients? And uh, are you are you only in uh, England? Or are you international? Or how does? We're, that's a, that's a great question. I'll just give you a very uh, brief overview of who we are and how we work and who we work with. So we're we're based out of London. Uh, we've got a foothold in, in the US. Um, DBMM group that you touched on is based in New York. Okay, but got we, it. But we, we are um, based here, but we operate globally. In fact, 30% of our customer base is in the US. And, oh, excellent. Um, they are, and we predominantly deal in tech, uh, B2B and tech leaders. There are core so ceos cmos cros and all the other three little letter all, the, all those all, the, yeah. all, all those uh, those other uh, so yeah so so we deal normally with the board or with uh, with management they're normally the ones that approach us with uh, uh 
with the challenges that they have. And we go through a very specific uh, process that we've developed, honed over 25. We've been around a long time, well over 25 years. And really, we look at three things. Where are you right now? Yeah. What what it what is it you know okay. where where are you, what is it you're looking to achieve, and what do we need to get you there? And though that sounds very simple, okay, um, no, simple the, is always the best. <laughs> yes, and right. we ha- and 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 all of that's broken down. So to you know, what are the blocks and barriers stopping you? We do a process where we do a deep dive. We do a diagnosis of the organization. What is the mindset and culture? our communications internally being siloed excuse me and then we sort of drill into you know what is it you want to achieve and why you know looking at competitor sets describing what makes them different helping them define their value proposition and why customers should choose them you know who are they what what are they why why them and the value that they add and then really the building blocks, now whether that's a go-to-market strategy, whether that's a whatever that might be, we have a very detailed program that deals with all of the aspects of their needs that's broken down in an almost in a Gantt chart way over a period of time. These are the areas you have to fix first. These are the low-hanging fruit. And then this happens and then you get a communication. And then, so it's not, it, so we're building muscle up over a period of time and then but only then do we then put that program together and trigger that i mean there's certain things that go certain horses are released first uh, whilst we're doing it but it's really driven <clears throat> driven out of um boston consulting group um big consultancy last year did a, a huge um report and they said that b2b companies throw away two trillion dollars every year Due to wasteful old school ads and marketing approaches. Wow. wow. So two trillion. So there's a lot of me too marketing, a lot of this, a lot of that. None of that's resonating with those, with a lot of their customers. They're going elsewhere. And then they end up in this what we call a a marketing circle of fear where they've got no clear thinking, no strategy, repetition of old methods, think they're gonna get different results. And it's a spiral. It just goes down and down and down and down. And we help companies fix that. So that's that hopefully explains kind of what we do. No, it does. So is do you have an example, you don't have to give a specific client, of what a so this is your so you're dealing with again, you're dealing with the CEO level, bigger company type you know, problems, but do you yes. have an example of a problem they would come with is the problem like we used to make uh $100 million a year and now we're down to 80 and we don't know why? Is it something like that or? We, we get that, Jim. We get that a lot. We we used to be doing this. We used to be doing that. Um, then we'll do a bit of analysis on there. We go through our program and then we can see why. Well, we help them discover why those things are happening when we dig deep because it's either the market has changed Either they the, the products or services are getting a bad rep, or they're not marketing in the right areas. Their customers are using someone else. There's a whole reason why that may happen. So when we do that, so there was one particular customer who had a scenario where they could not work out. No matter, they they say almost doubled their their marketing spend, but they were getting less leads. <laughs> oh God! The quality of leads were even worse than they were getting. And then the leads that were good, they weren't conversing. So it was like a classic spiral, death spiral in a way. And they'd spend all this money. So um, we were called in, we, we diagnosed a problem. We literally did all some of the things that we talked about, about diagnosing, value proposition, all that, understanding who they were, creating those value propositions, and then literally pivot five or six degrees and started running our communication in the right way to the right people at the right time <clears throat> and things started changing excuse me that particular company had a growth after 12 18 months of about 48 percent wow and last time we looked they were nudging they'd increase sales by by 60 percent that's amazing and that's a well-known company um well I say well known well known in its in its arena um so that took time, but it took. But when you look at what they're 
software costs and what they how they how they uh, were doing things it was a shift of mindset a shift of approach um, getting down in the weeds and creating those building blocks really breaking them down and saying fix this one first so an example of that might be uh, Jim um, looking at consistent messaging so your what your LinkedIn homepage says compared to your Twitter homepage compared to your Okay. You know, consistent messaging, consistent uh, brand, looking at their SEO, looking at all. So we really had to do an audit on all of their different uh, areas, but also look at the touch points in terms of what their customers were looking at. And when they saw that, they were horrified that they were like sending about 10, 20 different messages. So, so we go into all of that. And if we do that right and they implement, this is an important part, if they implement what we ask them to do, then guess what? Things start changing. So are you working with their internal teams? Is that like how does yes, that relationship do. go? So you're so basically you you're digging through all the data. So if I understand this correctly, so if someone comes to you with a problem, you're doing research, you're doing external research, internal research from you know, stuff yeah. from their books, stuff from their analysis, and then you're coming to them with with a list of things to do. Yeah, so so we'll work with them. So we have a very very clear, it's very transparent in terms of how we work. We we have the, the part one is a what we call a diagnosis workshop. It's where we go in with all the stakeholders and the manager. We sit down half day workshop where we go into all their break down their their organization into four different areas: sales and marketing, product, culture, all these different areas, depending on who they are. But before we do that, we do a questionnaire. It's an anonymous, and we get people to fill out all their biggest challenges, what they're doing, da, 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 all of that stuff. It's all collated by us, analyzed by us. It creates all these different data points. We bring that along and we share those findings at the workshop, and we discuss each of those points. It could be communication internally. It could be a product. It could be this. And everyone hears their grievances. <clears throat> From that, we use our own analysis where we actually say, right, how are we going to fix what they're looking to, to achieve? What is it you're looking to achieve? Here are your challenges. Here are the blocks and barriers. And then we come up with a proposal for them on how they can fix it. It's very detailed. And then we work with them, depending on the relation, what they've signed, signed up to, We'll either work with them for 12 months to achieve all of those things and bring in expertise where they don't have any. And nine times out of 10, they don't have the people in-house to do their stuff. So we'll bring in an expert in X or expert in Y or a HubSpot expert in this particular area or a, uh, a CRM expert or a Salesforce. And we have this relationship over the years, having been around for so long, one of the upsides of that is that we have a very detailed and extensive black book and network. And it's really powerful. And we bring our team in and help them fix. It's the right fit for the right organization and the right people. So we bring those people in and we work with them and help them to achieve it. Otherwise, they go right around in circles trying to do the same thing. And then they'll revert to tight because it's safer and warmer. And they'll go back to just doing, oh, let's just carry on doing what we're doing before. We're doing. But right. we try and break that, um, break up that, that uh, habit, bad habit. So, yeah. So that's, that's great. how we work. I've always said that if marketing is done right, there's a little bit of business coaching, uh, business development in there. And it sounds like, you know, that's part of what you guys are, you know, it's clearly part of what you're doing. There's that, that's beyond marketing. That's, you know, helping businesses grow, you know, with, there's a focus there on marketing, but um, yes. you know if if you're doing it right, you have to ask, why am I marketing this? <laughs> you know, or should we be marketing like you said, just turning six degrees might change everything. We one of the podcast episodes that um, I've recorded that will come out soon was about the Stanley Cup. I don't know if you heard about that um, marketing craze, but it was a yes, a hundred well, year old yes. company I've that marketed seen, to yes, men. I've seen them around. Yes, I've seen yeah. them around. Yeah. Switched to marketing to women and, and grew by uh, 10 times, uh, yes. you know, 10 next yes. growth. Amazing. So that was a pivot. They, uh, it was not a company like yours that um, came to them and said to do that, although they, sh they should have hired you. I think they, <laughs> instead it was, if only, um, if only they had. instead of, yes, it was so. Uber fans. So they, you know, they at least yes. followed that one. They listened to Uber fans 
Yeah. And uh, eventually, it was after you know a, you know a lot of of pushing from them, and they pivoted. And so sometimes you need someone like Reggie to come in and help you. You know, when we're in our own companies, we only see what we want to see. Like we're you know we're it's our baby, it's our it's our brand. We've been doing it for twenty five years or twenty years, and so it's hard to see what what's in the way. And sometimes you need someone to come in and. No, and move, show the way, yeah, a hundred percent. Yes, it's it's. Uh, I think the old saying is the only constant in life is change. So th- things are always changing, and and uh, right. who'd have thought eighteen months ago we'd be talking about AI? I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a thing as such. Well, it was. It was. In it was just. It was, yeah, it was, nobody was uh, talking you know, about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, people were talking about robot. You know, it's Blade Runner kind of stuff. You know, it's it's really science fiction stuff, and suddenly it's here and it's getting bigger. And who knows what's going to happen in um, in another six months? And equally, do you remember the board ape NFTs and Web three and all those things that were going to be the where, next big thing? Where to go? Uh, <laughs> yeah, where, where did it go? So, so it's really uh, so <laughs> there is no straight line, as we know. In, in um, but yeah, you're right. Marketing for us is, is almost a byproduct of getting people to think differently. And if you think differently, you are what you think, and this and. For organizations, they are what their management think. So therefore, we help them to think better. So yeah. Awesome. Well, this was a great conversation. So if you're a C-suite person, CEO, CFO, one of those one of those levels, you should reach out to Reggie. Uh, Reggie, where can, they, where can they find you and where can they find Digital Clarity? Uh, they can uh, find us on Google. They can type in digital-clarity.com, go straight to our website. They can uh, find me. Um, by typing my name into LinkedIn and or, or into Twitter or Instagram. Um, but yes, um, just, just go to LinkedIn and uh, connect with me. Love to have a conversation. That'd be That's great. great. And we'll, Thank we'll you, have Jim. all those links in the show notes. Um, again, it, you know, Reggie thinks the right way. Um, you should reach out. Um, if we ever get to, to be one, a company that size and I'm in my own way, I'm going to reach out to Reggie and have him help me out. So you should do it. Um, thank you it's so a much. Pleasure, Jim. No, it's, yeah. it's been an, it's been <laughs> wonderful chatting to you, and um, thank you again. It's been great. And um, I can now say this because it's been three Fridays in a row that I've released our podcast. So I will see you all next Friday. Thank you so much.